0: I want to say a few words here before we have Mike come and preach to us the word. Uh, As you know, this was a uh, a wonderful week up up there at uh, what what you know is Living Water Farms Christian Camp over north of Bonaparte. uh, Solid Rock Christian Camp, they rented out for a couple weeks. And this past week was junior camp, uh, like nine-year-olds through 12 or so. Uh, those going into 4th to 7th grade, uh, and it was fun. We had mid-60s, and we probably had 62 or 3 campers, and 8 cabins, uh, 4 guys' cabins and 4 girls' cabins, and I was one of those guy counselors, and haven't done that in a long time, and I was the oldest of all 8 counselors uh, at 42. Audrey, my daughter, was one of the counselors, of course she's 17, and uh, her boyfriend, Micah, was one of the counselors. He's only, I think he's 18. Uh, and just a fun time. And a lot of, you know, it was a hot week, but we had a lot of good uh, fun, a lot of food. They can have some pictures up here. Uh, here here's the counselors. Um, Audrey is there, but the guy in the cowboy hat is standing right in front of her. So, uh, but here's Micah down here in the lower right. Uh, but yeah, it was fun. Those are the counselors we had. Nate Day, he's been here in the past. He's the he's the director, um, and just a fun time. Here's a picture of you know, just one of the services there are singing. Um, but I had seven or eight boys in my cabin there, uh, and got to know them. One, one of them put their faith in Christ uh, there on the last day, on Friday, and just you know, I think overall in the camp there was. Uh, uh, you know, I think at least a dozen kids put their faith in Christ. Um, if not more. And many yeah, you know, the theme this week was you, know, you have to have two teams, but it was the Sheriffs versus the Rangers, kind of a western theme. And uh we were on the losing team. We were the sheriffs, but the Rangers won. Uh but it was still fun. Uh a lot of a lot of memory verses to say, but uh discipleship was the theme and being a closer follower of christ and so many prayed for that that you know i prayed with three or four young boys uh after after services they just wanted they had put their faith in christ but they wanted to uh to be a disciple of christ and, and follow christ closely uh, so that that was really neat um I, just real quick here i think i had a uh um a 30 second clip i want to show you if the uh uh, here we go. We're waiting in line for the food. Those are a lot of my campers there. So, but uh, let's see if we can get this to work here. Just a 30-second clip so you can kind of see what it was like. Here, let's see if we can get it to work. This was a selfie. Uh, okay, come on. So that, that was good. Uh, so this week, pray for us again at Teen Week. Uh, those going into eighth grade, all the way through those graduated from high school, and there's I think they said there's going to be sixty some campers again. And so I'll be counseling, and um, Abigail will be there. Addison Canada, and Addison said another friend from school is going. Arabella, I think uh, I think it was. So just pray for that. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing Mike Shea come and speak. He's become a dear friend of mine, and he uh, here, I think it's been over a year ago now, he's arranged these pastor's lunches over at, at what he calls the BK Lounge. Now, Keokuk, uh, that's, that's Burger King. Uh, but it, it's good. Every third Thursday we get together and we have just a time of fellowship for some area pastors. And it's been good, and just sharing our hearts and what things we're thinking about, and what's going on in ministry, in our lives, and he's just become a dear friend, and um, I like that he likes to write as well, you know, I, you know, I enjoy writing, but he, he writes a lot better than I do, so I try to follow his example, <laughs> but he, he's not afraid to say what people need to hear, and he has a heart for God, so Mike,
1: why don't you come? Good morning. <clears throat> wow, what, a, what an introduction. Thank you very much. I have really enjoyed getting to know Aaron and to uh, be able to uh, fellowship with him, and also the uh, pastors, uh young pastor over in Illinois by the name of Logan Wagoner, who's at uh, Bethel, or uh, rather at uh, Sutter Salem Bible Church over there. And um, they have just been real blessings in my life. And I appreciate all of them so much. We uh, we do have a good time, good fellowship, and uh, really neat to uh, to be able to spend that time with these guys. By the way, I heard uh, you talking about a uh, lady's ages here, you know. Nor to ignore that. You're not supposed to ask a woman how old she is, okay? You're supposed to ask her how much does she weigh. <clears throat> Yesterday, I was talking to the lady that works at the funeral home with me. And I told her that. I said, you know, she was talking about her age. And I said, you know, you're not supposed to talk to women about their ages. I'm supposed to ask you how much you weigh. She said, I'm 49. (laughs) Just that quick. So, oh, my. If you'd open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. And I apologize that my wife, Linda, is not with me this morning. Uh, She ate something yesterday that disagreed with her, and she's home with a bad stomachache this morning. Hopefully by now she's feeling better, but when I left, she wasn't. She was really upset because she wanted to see some folks here today, and she's also blaming herself. I shouldn't have eaten it. I shouldn't have eaten it, but, you know, we can all say that afterwards. But I appreciate you remembering Linda in prayer and make sure that she is okay when I get home. Isaiah chapter 9, I'd like you to look at some verses, verses 8 through 16. By the way, you'll notice my voice is a little bit weak. I lost it completely in January and have not yet regained it all. Starting at verse 8, I'm reading King James. The Lord sent a word into Jacob, and it hath lighted upon Israel, and all the people shall know, even Ephraim and the inhabitant of Samaria that say in the pride and stoutness of heart, The bricks are fallen down, but we will build with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. Therefore the Lord shall set up the adversaries of reason against him, and join his enemies together, the Syrians before and the Philistines behind, and they shall devour Israel with open mouth. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. For the people turneth not unto him that smiteth them, neither do they seek the Lord of hosts. Therefore the Lord will cut off from Israel head and tail, branch and rush, in one day. The ancient and honorable, he is the head, and the prophet that teacheth lies, he is the tail. For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed." I was reading in the book of Isaiah on Memorial Day weekend, just my regular Bible reading, and I was in chapter nine, and that passage just suddenly leaped off the page and smacked me in the face. That'll happen every once in a while. And it became this, this message. You ever had that happen to you where you're reading something that just jumps at you, even though you've read it before, And it really hits home. I realize Isaiah prophesied to, for, and about Israel. I understand that. I also realize that our country, the United States, was founded on Christian principles by men of faith. And there's a great promise in the Psalms about that that says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, Psalm 33, 12. Now, that's written for Israel. We know it's for Israel because the uh, the verse ends, and the people he hath chosen for his own inheritance. Well, that's Israel. They have been chosen by God as his chosen people. But the founding fathers of the United States gave us a foundation of Christianity on which to build our society. And when I link that with another promise in the Bible, found 111 Psalms later in Psalm 144, which reads, Happy is that people that is in such a case. Happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Doesn't speak about any particular people. So any people whose God is the Lord are happy. And I couple that with the fact that our nation was founded by people whose God is the Lord. I understand why we have been so richly blessed for so long as a nation. But it goes without saying that if any such people abandon that dependence on God their happiness is going to disappear. Our first president, George Washington, stated, It is impossible to govern the world without God. It is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God and to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits and humbly implore his protection and favor. Would you like to hear that from the president today? And for quite a while, the majority of Americans did exactly that, and our nation was blessed. John Adams, the second man to occupy the office of president, said, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. An honest look at the leadership of our country today shows that our nation, right now, is wholly inadequate to be governed by the principles our forefathers set for us in that constitution. Many of our leaders are immoral, incapable of speaking the truth. At least when it comes to the Christian faith, they are anti-religious. And led by such leadership, the country itself at least appears to be in the same condition. But folks, the church must bear a lot of the responsibility for this. Soft, make them feel good preaching so everyone will be comfortable, never mentioning sin and the need for forgiveness and salvation. That is the recipe of the day in the vast majority of local churches across this country. I know it's not here, but it is in most, and our country is suffering as a result. The result of that sorry spiritual leadership is what we have being reflected in our national and political life today. The United States of America needs a great spiritual awakening, so I call this message Pride Goeth Before Destruction, and it is subtitled A Warning to America and a Call for Revival. Let's ask God to bless our time together in his word. Father, I thank you so much for this church and what it has meant in my life in this area. Thank you for all the people who are a part of it. I thank you for the wonderful pastor they have and the good friend that he has become in my life. I pray, Father, today you will speak to each one of us individually through your word and that each of us will respond as you would have us to respond to your message. And we'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise for anything good that happens. We know that it is your work, and we praise this in Jesus' name. Amen. Christopher Columbus, who is credited with discovering America—we know there were other people here before him—but he got that credit. When he sailed for what became the New World, he knew he was going someplace uh, other than just India, going west to go to India. He knew he was going someplace else. He knew there were lands between him and where he was going to try to go, and he expected to bump into new areas and new people. He based all of that on a scripture passage. It's in his journal. He based it on the scripture passage, Isaiah 40:22, which reads, It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. For thousands of years, while people were still saying the earth is flat, you're going to fall off the edge, the Bible said it's round. And when Columbus was a young boy, He would watch ships go out from the harbor at his hometown, and he'd watch them go out of sight. And he realized as they went out of sight, the last thing he saw was the top of the mast. So they were going down out of sight. And that gave him confidence that they're going around the curve of the earth. And he was not fearing that trip as far as falling off the end of the earth was concerned. He knew it wasn't going to happen. But do you find it interesting, as do I, that he... Christopher Columbus has been so degraded by so many people in the United States in recent years. By the way, his name Christopher means Christ-bearer. He sailed in 1492. The Reformation didn't start until the 15-teens. So he was probably a Roman Catholic. And yet he believed in the Bible. And he lived in faith. And he really intended to bring the Christian faith with him. But he got sidetracked. And he didn't uh, fulfill that missionary, uh, that mission, I understand that, but he was still a man who tried. And today, people want to run him down. Many people in the United States in recent years even want to change the name of Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day and just get rid of it. It's uh, any attempt in history, in our history, to eliminate him from our history as well as other things. If you follow that thread, you realize that the main targets of those people who want to rewrite our history are men and women who are uh, are, are trying or tried in their time to live Christ-centered lives. We got to get rid of them. We got to get them out of our history while they shape what became the United States of America. Already in many public schools, systems in America, people are not learning about Christopher Columbus or George Washington or John Adams, or Thomas Jefferson, or Abraham Lincoln, or the list goes on and on and on. But they're learning things that are not true. The result of such training has already been evident throughout our country. People who are trying to do good are being attacked physically. And the government that is supposed to protect our citizens is not just ignoring the problem, but adding to it, making it harder. There are numerous Bible passages that could be used to support this message. I realize that, but the message came from me reading this passage because it just smacked me in the face when I was reading it. As we begin to look at the scripture, please remember the title of the message, Pride Goeth Before Destruction, a Warning to America and a Call for Revival. Israel was a divided nation at the time Isaiah prophesied. Israel was the north, Judah was the south, but the entire nation was called Israel. So in his writing, Isaiah uses the names of Ephraim and Samaria to show the distinction between the north and uh, then the southern kingdom, which would be Judah. Is the United States today a divided nation? We may not have two geographic areas that are looking at each other suspiciously, But we are divided in so many ways, and our leaders are adding to that. The bottom line of things dividing us, if you really look at it, are spiritual. Spiritual. Therefore, this history and this prophecy in Israel, in Isaiah, remind me of our country right now. But we're focusing on Israel then, as we study this. The Assyrians, as we know, would eventually take captive the northern kingdom. But they had already come against Ephraim and Samaria and had done some damage destroying trees and knocking down brick houses. Now, that was a common practice of them. They would destroy trees because it would mess up roads and people couldn't travel very well. So they knocked down the trees. And knocking down a few brick houses, that was pretty easy to do. So Isaiah was inspired to write verses 8 through 10. The Lord sent a word into Jacob, and it hath lighted upon Israel. And all the people shall know, even Ephraim and the inhabitant of Samaria, that say in the pride and stoutness of heart, the bricks are fallen down, but we will build with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. Brick homes were common. They were the common people, the lower class people. That's all they could afford was bricks to build their homes. Hewn stones or cut stones were expensive. Only the finest people had cut stones in their homes and other things were built that way. Sycamore trees were weak and they were, they're messy. We had two of them in front of the funeral home for a while. I guarantee you they're a mess. You have to clean them up every day. But the uh, cedar trees are strong and they're beautiful, and they're expensive, and they have to be imported if you're going to have them in Israel. Remember this, there had been an early attack on the part of the northern kingdom, and there was some damage. The whole country wasn't destroyed, just some of it. Now read again God's proclamation given through Isaiah, and note carefully what was said. Verse 8, the Lord sent a word unto Jacob, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, the entire nation is being warned. The Lord sent a word unto Jacob, and it had lighted upon Israel, the northern kingdom. And all the people shall know, even Ephraim and the inhabitant of Samaria, that say in the pride and stoutness of heart, Okay, they've been attacked, and they've got a mess. So what do they say? The bricks are falling down, but we will build with hewn stones. We're going to come back. We're going to be fine. We're going to take care of it. They're all proud. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. We're going to rebuild. It's going to be more expensive and better and more lovely to look at. And we're going to do this, filled with pride, thinking about what they were going to do, saying what they were going to do. Anytime any person, any group of people, or in our case, any nation, wants to honor God, God's enemy, Satan, puts those people in the crosshairs and is going to come after them. The United States had been a people who fit these words. Happy is that people that is in such a case. Happy is that people whose God is the Lord. And therefore, they were definitely on Satan's hit list. The weakening of the resolve of America had been going on for some time, but it got accelerated right after World War II. I was born in 1944. My most conscious memories are probably 1949, maybe late 1948. And I can remember those days. God had miraculously delivered our nation victory on two fronts in World War II, Europe and the Pacific at the same time after the terrible infliction that was given to our Navy and air fighters at um, Hawaii at Pearl Harbor. And yet we won the war on two fronts. And after that, life in our country became easier. It became wealthier. Even with Korea uh, bubbling up and becoming a problem, I can remember as a young kid, five years old, six years old, seven years old, feeling very safe and very secure, like everything was fine. And we were not wealthy. We were not wealthy at all. But I always felt like we were fine. No problem. Everything was going to be great. There was that feeling of that in our country. As life became easier and wealthier, people slowly turned away from worshiping God and trying to live for him, being more self-centered, more prideful and pride goeth before destruction. I believe when President Eisenhower, in his inaugural address in 1953, read a good-sized passage of scripture, it was the last time any American president so honored God's word. Oh, they all have a little scripture in their Inauguration speeches, it might have a verse or part of a verse, but that's all. It's just in there to say, oh, yeah, you know, we believe in God. That's fine. Ronald Reagan, and I like Ronald Reagan, at the Republican National Convention in 1980, at his acceptance speech for the nomination, at the end of it, asked all of the delegates to please join him in prayer. I got excited. We're going to pray. And then he stood there for maybe 10 seconds, said thank you, and went on. In 10 seconds, you can't even get started. Did you hear Pastor Aaron uh, pray this morning? And Dan? It took time just to say hello to the Lord at the start of it. By the way, I liked Ronald Reagan. I voted for him twice. I'll say that. I voted for him because he ran promising to take care of Roe v. Wade. And in eight years in office, he never approached the subject. Not one time. He lied to me. That's disappointing. On D-Day, June 6th, 1944, I wasn't born yet, a few months away. Linda was born, but I wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the left-wing liberal president, prayed nationally on the radio as our troops were going into Normandy. And on that day, If you have never heard that recording of that prayer, listen to it. It's online. You can find it. As he prayed that day, the war turned and went in the Allies' favor from that point forward. As early as the 1960s, the efforts to remove God from our public life took a huge leap. Prayer in public schools was banned. Then it became illegal to read Scripture in school. The Ten Commandments became dangerous for anyone to see. And by the turn of the century, Satan's forces were poised and ready to take their biggest step to date. September 11th, 2001, first year of the new century. 2000 is the last year of the the 20th century, and 2001 is the first year of the 21st century. You know what happened. Airplanes were flown into the World Trade Center, 3,000 people died. One plane hit our Pentagon building. One plane was taken down in Pennsylvania and prevented from getting to whatever target it was going to. And how do we react? Do we immediately pray? Mm -hmm. Not immediately. Oh, we're coming back. We're going to be better than we were before. No problem. America's tough. We're going to be able to beat this back. On the night of 9-11... President Bush addressed the nation. Our church out in Missouri met that night. We just called everybody that morning, said we're going to be there at 7 o'clock for a prayer meeting, and we were in church praying, and the church was jammed. And we had the radio on, and we listened to President Bush's statements. And I remember that line, Tomorrow, go to your church, your synagogue, or your mosque, and pray for our country. Mosque? There was a man from England in a grocery store, I think, in either Washington or Philadelphia at the time. And he heard the president say that over the radio, and he turned to the man who owned the store, and he said to him, did you hear what the president just said? He said, yes. The guy said, you just lost the war. And he was right. We lost that war. Where are the weapons of mass destruction that we invaded Iraq to get? How many American lives were spilled? And how about the connection with Afghanistan all the way up to the start of the Biden administration still locked back in from Iraq? We got pummeled as a result of that. Why? I don't want to blame individual Muslim people. Some of them are very fine, but the fact is they follow a false god, and that false god tells them in their religious practice that if somebody refuses to become a Muslim, kill them. Get rid of them. Just get them off the earth. And so if they go to the mosque and pray and they're really dedicated to their cause, they're going to pray that America gets defeated. And that's what our president called for. And where was the church? Don't confuse the church with a building or a corporate or a political structure don't point at the hierarchy of some denominations for doing wrong. I remember we had a prayer meeting at the National Cathedral that Friday on the 6th of, uh, no, not the 6th, the 14th of, um, of uh, September. I watched it on television that day. And just to make sure I remembered it correctly, I watched it again before I preached this message. It was no more a prayer meeting than standing around talking about how the ballgame went last night. All of the leaders of these denominations with all the flowing robes and speaking very carefully with perfect diction about everything. Billy Graham was in the middle of it all, and that was disappointing. And an imam stepped up, a Muslim, and he prayed in the middle of that prayer meeting. How does that play in heaven? How does God view that? And where was the church? The church are the people who are the true believers in Jesus Christ. We are the body of Christ on earth, and it is up to us to carry out his ministry. Nobody else can do it. The following Sunday, September 16th, 2001, in practically every local church in America, people who hadn't been in church for years attended services. Where was the church? The church being the real, true believers, those who are saved. Why didn't those folks who visited that Sunday keep coming? Whatever do we make to make sure they came back? Where was the church? The tendency is always to observe and react to things in the physical realm. We got attacked that day by a physical enemy. 3,000 people died. How was it that our systems for defending our country failed miserably? And 19, 19 terrorists were able to board airliners in this country and fly them into buildings to kill people, except for the heroism of the people on the plane over Pennsylvania. I believe it was because the United States of America had become so proud of itself, so self-reliant, that we were pushing God out of our culture and he allowed us to fail miserably. It was a shot across the bow. Rob Dunham asked me about three weeks afterwards, he said, how much did 9-11 affect you? Really? And I had to say, not much. My life kept going the way it was. I didn't lose anybody that were killed that day. There was no interruption. The only problem that we had was a gas line the night of 9-11. We were going down to uh, Missouri for church, and all the gas stations had cars lined up for three or four blocks waiting for gas. And my tank was pretty low. I knew I had enough to get to church, not enough to get home. So I went to church and I said to my wife, don't worry about it, we'll get gas on the way home. We're coming home, 10 o'clock at night, got into Cahoka, nobody in the gas stations. We pulled in, filled up our tank, came on home. No problem. I wasn't affected. Most of the country wasn't directly affected by what happened that day. And all the great physical things that were done to pay them back. I remember when the Yankees opened their first home game, President Bush threw out the first ball. I thought, that's great, that's really good. But where focus was wrong. It was just like when Assyria attacked the northern kingdom initially and destroyed some trees and buildings. It was a test to see how God's people would react. Mark your place in Isaiah. Turn, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. By the evening of 9-11, 2001, the physical battle had settled down. But the spiritual battle was raging on. Our elected leader said, go to your mosques and pray. And where was the church? Remember, the church is made up of all born-again Christians and nobody else. And we have a job to do in the spiritual battle. And it is clearly spelled out for us in Scripture. Would the church do its job? Or would it shrink back in the shadows and hope for the best? Here are the instructions to the church. This, to me, is the great commission for the church. Starting at verse 17, to set the stage. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's the church. Anybody who's saved and all things have become new, they are, we are the church. Verse 18, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. We are saved through the Savior, Jesus, and his death on Calvary. We put our faith in that. We are saved and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. It hasn't been given to anybody else. The angels don't have it. Jesus is in heaven. The ministry of reconciliation in this world is in the hands of the believers who live in this world now. That's you and me if you're saved. If you're not saved, you're on the outside looking in. I'll deal with you in a minute. But if you are saved, that's us. It's up to us to conduct the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, not going around and saying, well, you did this and you did that and you're bad. No, he didn't do that. We're all sinners and he knows that. And hath committed unto us the the word of reconciliation. Where was the church? Why weren't we on the front line preaching? We... And I include myself. We should have come alongside those visitors that day and just struck up a conversation with them. John, it's good to see you. I haven't seen you for a long time. Boy, it's been a hard week, hasn't it? Awful week. Terrible things happening in the country. I know it really shook me up really bad. How are you doing with the Lord? Get a conversation going, do something. But so many of us just sort of shrunk back, let the people leave, and by the next week, everything is normal. They didn't go to church anymore. One time was enough. That was fine. At the same time, numerous cowardly and false teacher pastors preached about how Islam is a religion of peace, and we can't blame them for the uh, attack that was put on us. Some churches, even in this area, and you know it, would have Muslim speakers in their pulpits on subsequent Sundays, spreading Satan's lies about the beauty of the Islamic religion, further weakening the spiritual strength of our country. We're all worshiping the same God. We just call him by different names. Sorry. Sorry. Allah is a moon God. He is mentioned in the Bible. He is a false God. And on the physical side of the war, our leaders did exactly what Israel leaders did, Go back to the passage in Isaiah if you will please. On the physical side of the war our leaders did exactly what Israel's leaders did claiming in verse 10 the bricks are fallen down but we will build with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down but we will change them into cedars. We're going to come back. America all the way. We're going to be, we're going to be tough. And how did God respond? Verse 11, therefore the Lord shall set up the adversaries of reason against him and join his enemies together, the Syrians before and the Philistines behind. It's hard to explain this. Reason, R-E-Z-I-N, is the king of Damascus or Syria. Adversaries can be translated princes. So it means that soldiers under King Reason, these are definitely the Assyrians, who would join together with the Philistines and attack him or Ephraim or the northern kingdom again. And when the attack comes the next time, it's going to be devastating. Where the scripture reads the Syrians before and the Philistines behind is a reference to the two areas geographically. The Syrians would attack Ephraim or the northern kingdom from the east while the Philistines would come from the west. Squeeze them in and at the end of it, The northern kingdom would be in in, uh, captivity. The result of the next attack will be the second part of verse 12. And they shall devour Israel with open mouth. They are going to be completely successful. This would be the attack when the northern kingdom Israelites would lose their land and be taken captive by Assyria, a complete defeat. Defeat. However, God's chastisement is not yet full. The last part of verse 12 reads, For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. The Lord is still angry. He still has more chastening to do. At this point, some people might have some questions. First, why was God's anger not satisfied yet? And secondly, why, Mike, did this passage remind you so much of the United States today? The answer to the first question, why was God's anger not satisfied yet, is given in the next verse, verse 13. But start at the end of verse 12, that last phrase in verse 12. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. For the people turneth not unto him that smiteth them. They're not seeking God. Neither do they seek the Lord of hosts. They're doing it on their own. God's going to be glorified in everything that he does and if you don't give him glory he'll see to it that you do. And because they were not giving him any kind of attention they attacked he got they got attacked worse. God is trying to get his people's attention. So he allowed that attack on Ephraim. Their response rather than turning to their loving God for help, their response was to declare they could handle the situation just fine. Thank you very much. And to predict when they got done rebuilding their society would be in even better shape than it was before. Further study, by the way, will show you that the people of the northern kingdom, Israel, had been worshiping Baal, the false god that just gave so much trouble to Israel throughout its history. So they were following a false god. It led to their complete destruction. Verse 14, Therefore the Lord will cut off from Israel head and tail, Branch and rush in one day. In everything in Israel, the northern kingdom, from the highest to the lowest, from the top to the bottom, or from the head and tail, branch and rush would be destroyed in the span of one day. And the next verse should send a strong warning to any preacher not preaching the truth today. Verse 15, the ancient and honorable... Those are the older men, probably loyal priests at that time. He is the head. And the prophet that teacheth lies. He is the tail. The ministers who stood in their pulpits and said, Oh, Islam's just a nice religion. Everything's fine. They're not our enemies. Everything will be fine. They're the tail. They're the tail. It never works to try to use as an excuse that someone misled you. Ultimately, each of us is responsible for what we do and even responsible for following whoever we choose to follow. Such was the case of all of Israel at the time of this prophecy. For, remember, Judah or the southern kingdom would also be taken captive later by Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. If you have a leader who wants to lead you in the wrong direction, do not follow. Period. When I was a pastor out in Missouri, we had one glorious day that I will never forget. I used to tell our people, if I get up in the pulpit some Sunday morning and start out in left field preaching stuff that you know is not true, you men get up out of your seats, walk up, take a hold of me and say, you're done. Step out. Your dementia has overridden you or something. You're nuts. You're getting out of the pulpit. You are not going to infect us this way. And then you take over the service. And if none of you want to preach, sing hymns, pray. I don't care. But don't let the falsehood go forth, no matter who it is. We had a couple come to our church, and they were visiting for a while. and They were in the adult Sunday school class. I taught the young adult Sunday school class. So I wasn't in the adult Sunday school class. My wife, being older than me, was in the adult class. don't tell her. (laughs) Don't tell her I said that. We got done and we got in the car to leave and Linda said to me, you would be so proud of the men of this church. And I said, why? What happened? She said, well, and the teacher who was supposed to teach that class had to leave on some kind of emergency. And this couple that had come, the man said, well, I'll teach. And he got up and he started to name it and claim it and all this stuff. And our men just said, no, no, that's not in the Bible. Step down. And then they just started doing a study on their own. Wow. I may not have had many victories, but I had that one, baby, and I'll hold on to it all the way into eternity. They listened. If you have a leader who wants to lead you in the wrong direction, do not Follow verse 16 for the leaders of this people cause them to err and they that are led of them are destroyed. If you follow the false leader, you're going to be destroyed. Eventually all Israelite people, both Northern and Southern kingdoms had been taken captive by Assyria and then Babylon. And to this day, they have not fully recovered back to their homeland. Okay, preacher, one question remains. Why did you state this reminded you so much of the United States today? As we've gone through the passage, I pointed out certain things that are identical to how Israel then and the United States now reacted to the similar situation of an attack on our societies. And when we read the final four verses of the passage in light of the USA today, we should realize how serious the situation is that we are in. Starting at verse 13, For this people turneth not unto him that smiteth them, neither do they seek the Lord of hosts. People are not praying. They're not looking up to God. We're getting smaller and smaller and smaller in our church attendance. If you sat just right, I could shoot a shotgun in here and not hit anybody. It shouldn't be that way. It should be jammed to the hilt. Therefore, the Lord will cut off from Israel head and tail, Branch and Russian one day it's happening now I think in the United States the ancient and honorable he is the head and the prophet that teacheth lies he is the tale but the prophet that teaches of the lies is on TV all over the place it's loaded with false teaching unbelievably for the leaders of this people cause them to err and they that are led of them are destroyed that will happen to us if we don't Turn it around. If we do not have a revival, if the church doesn't get revived so that it can bring spiritual awakening to the rest of society, that is going to happen to us. And still the question remains, where is the church? Where is the body of Christ? Where are the only people in our society who can make the spiritual difference? Just listen once again. You might want to close your eyes as you listen. Trust me to read it right the Great Commission to the Church. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Nobody else, you and me. Where are we? Friday afternoon, about 4 o'clock, my wife was standing at our front window, picture window, looking out the porch, and she said to me, come here a minute. And I got up and I walked over and she said, look at that bird. It was a female cardinal. We have a little board on the corner of our porch that Linda built so she can have a bird feeder and a squirrel feeder and stuff like that. It has nails and there are stalks of her ears of corn there and a little pool of water for the birds. And this female cardinal was standing there and she was opening her beak, opening her mouth. and just. But no noise was coming out. We couldn't hear anything. You know how sometimes you see something and you just think, I think this is happening, and if you act on it, it might be a good idea, but if you don't act on it, time passes. As I stood there, I thought, it may be choking. It may have swallowed a piece of corn and can't get it down. And just about that time, the bird turned and flew, but it flew down toward the porch. And Linda said, well, it's okay, it flew. But Mike thought, I don't think it is okay. But then I put it through my mind, can't do anything about it. I went out there, it would run for me anyway, hoping it will be okay. About an hour and a half later, I was out watering our flowers. I get that assignment, I get to water the flowers. And as I'm watering up by the porch, I find the body of the bird down on the ground, fell right off the edge of the porch, right where I saw it land. And, oh, my goodness, I just felt awful. It's just a bird, you know. But Jesus says he knows the sparrow. God knows the sparrow that falls. And I just felt terrible. Now it's midnight, and I'm preparing to go to bed. And I start to pray like I always do. And that bird came to my mind. And I prayed, and I said, Lord, I'm so sorry. There are four times in my life that I know God has spoken directly to me. No audible, no, I'm not some guy, go you know, oh, God spoke to me this morning and said, I know that he said something to me because it came into my mind, the still small voice. The fourth time was that time, midnight, Friday night. And what the Lord said to me was this that bird is a picture of every lost soul on earth. They're dying, and they need somebody to talk to them. You can't remain silent. You've got to speak up, no matter how frightening it is. You've got to speak up. Jesus died for them, and they don't even know it. And if they don't get told, how are they going to have a chance to be saved? But that goes to every one of you who's a born again Christian. You cannot remain silent. We need a revival. We need individual revival. We need to pray for revival. If your prayer life has suffered recently, get back at it. You may feel a little strange going back. That's okay. God understands. Just start praying, and He'll meet you, and He'll take you forward. It will be okay. And ask him for opportunities. And don't miss those opportunities when they come by. Now, if any of you are not yet saved, you need to hear the next two verses of this passage. It says, For he, God the Father, made him, God the Son, to be sin who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I forgot the 20th verse, I'm sorry, which says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead. Be reconciled to God. That's what we've needed to be doing. Telling people, be reconciled to God. And the great message is, Jesus paid for your sins when he died on the cross. And there's nothing you can do to improve upon that. Just repent and accept the gift. There's a world out there that is dying. And we are their only hope if we're going to win them. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you for how it impacted my life. I pray it will impact others. And I pray, Father, that we will see revival in our hearts, in our churches' hearts. And in our society, we will see a spiritual awakening that we desperately, desperately need. May this message resound with all of us as we leave this building. Don't let it leave our minds. And if there's anybody here who needs Christ today, don't let them leave without talking to Pastor Aaron or me or somebody and getting things settled with you before they go out. And we will give you the glory, the honor, and the praise for anything good that happens. We know it is your work. We thank you for allowing us to be a part of it. In Jesus' name, amen.